Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Actually, to, to focus on one of Jesus's post-resurrection appearances and, you know, somewhere between the actual ascension um, and this conversation of the Great Commission, just a reminder to God's people that before he gave us his marching orders, that he reminded us that whatever he's asking us to do, whatever he's calling us to do, whatever he's calling us to believe, it's all been underwritten by the one who has all power and authority in his hands, um, the one who promises to be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I figure um, uh, we are going to launch into a series on faith. It'll probably be four or five weeks on faith. Um, and, and, and I think my hope is, is for you to understand um, that essentially how important faith is to the life with and in Christ um, and uh, connecting those things. There's, there's a trust fund of, of blessings that um, have been accomplished and secured for you, but they can only be accessed by faith. Let me, just, let me be honest with you. I just want to be straight up with you. There are things that God has already secured for you by his finished work on the cross and resurrection. It's done. Everybody say, it's done. It's already mine. But you can't touch it unless you got faith. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. But the good news today is, is that there's grace from this passage today. Uh, that will help us, give us some kind of idea of how to access and how to truly live uh, the life that God has promised and died to provide for his children. So um, let's go back to Brother Thomas, not Thomas Mathwig, you know what I'm saying? But Thomas got a cut, y'all. Y'all better watch out. Thomas then, Thomas then came up in this mug and pulled up. You hear me? He didn't pull up. He said, I got the line up too. Y'all better stop playing with me. Hey, I, just, I, I decided to go with my post-resurrection swag, too. Everybody's like, what inspired your, your, your drip today? It's, he rose. It's my hero. He, 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 all, right, all right, let's go. So, verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, shout out to Sam Jeffers for the pronunciation. One of the 12 disciples, that is, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, right? So we've got Thomas um, that apparently... Um, as people, the resurrection has happened, the, 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 the body has been taken down, it's probably been in the tomb, and, and, and we see now, we get some kind of semblance of what the 12 were up to, right? Scattered, alone, afraid, staying in the huddle, and apparently they were together. If you read the, first, uh, the, the earlier parts of John 20, this is when the Lord first appeared to those 11 minus Thomas. And so, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine, you know, uh, what that must have felt like when you walk into the room and everybody's just beaming and you still sad, you like, what's up, y'all? And them brothers like, bruh, we seen him. Bruh, stop playing. I'm still grieving. Don't be playing with me like that. You know what I'm saying? I don't know what that felt like in the room, but apparently Thomas was the last person to know. And I wonder if in this room, reason why maybe even as I was thinking and preparing about how sweet this passage could be to some of y'all in this room. Some of y'all in this room are just like Thomas. You know, you feel like you're always the last person to know. 
Like even as we're sitting in a room full of people who seem to be loving on Jesus and they're singing his praises and they're singing he's worthy and they're singing Jesus is at the center and you're sitting in this room and you're like, man, I know I'm supposed to be here, but I don't feel that. I don't feel him being my center. I don't feel him being my true north. I don't feel him being my compass. I don't feel him being in my everything. And I see that everybody's saying that he's their everything, but I'm struggling. And right now you feel like you're the odd man out. I got some good news to tell you today. Amen, lights and walls. What we know about Thomas is very little. We, we see him. He gets mentioned in John 14. He's mentioned in John 11. This is the story about Lazarus, right? And so y'all, y'all remember, right, Jesus and the disciples found out that Lazarus was dead. And so they were not in Bethany, or I believe that's where Lazarus died. They weren't there. And so they were trying to figure out their travel arrangements, whether they were going to go immediately, whether they were going to go wait. Um, But what we do know is this, that part of the dilemma on whether or not they were going to go or not is because Jesus had kicked up enough beef that people were looking for him. The last time he left Judea, they were looking for him to stone him. And so uh, we know this about Thomas. Tom, when Jesus said, hey, it don't matter if they're looking for me to, uh, 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 to stone me or not, we're going. What we know about Thomas is Thomas was like, all right, you just give us the word. We'll ride with you. And he says these, these words. He says, John eleven sixteen. 16, so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This No Limit Soldier circuit 2001. This a rider right here. I just want to let y'all know, you get to know Thomas as Doubting Thomas, but I want to let you know before you get to John 20, there's John 11, and Thomas is a rider. Thomas understands the cost. Turn to your neighbor and say, you understand the cost? Thomas is ready. We also see these kind of statements from the 12. Sometimes we get the 12 painted in a bad light. Peter also offers this, and we know Peter, Peter didn't quite live up to his, but he would also say, Lord, John 13 and 37, I'll lay down my life for you too. These men, I think they had some understanding of what they were being asked to do. It goes on to say in verse 25, but he says, this is Thomas after he's been bombarded by all this positivity. All this resurrected Jesus mumbo-jumbo being shoved down his throat. I'm still grieving. I'm still mad that this man I followed for three and a half years, he's left us with no plan. I don't know what to do. And now y'all shoving all this Jesus positivity down my throat. How many of y'all have been there before? You ready to throw your pity party, you in your thing, you riddled with anxiety, guilt, shame, and all the stuff, and you're just like, man, I just want to sit in my feelings, but everybody around you is like, he's alive, and you're like, I'm not ready yet. Thomas ain't ready yet, and he makes it clear that he's not ready yet. He says, unless, everybody say unless. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into this, uh, the side, I will not believe. That ain't a wishy-washy statement right there, y'all. That's pretty clear. I ain't going to believe it unless I see him for myself. You, you, you do realize Three and a half years, you've been rolling with the same group of dudes. Y'all been in the same situations. If there was any 
people on the face of this planet that you would just take their word just on the strength of who they are, it would have been them. How strong and how obstinate was the unbelief that I can't even trust my closest homies on this. You know, you've been in situations before. You know, you know I hear Gina all the time. You know, girl, you know there's a sale over there at Sam's Club. What, girl, no. Yeah, girl, yeah, it is. No, girl, no. For real. Yeah. Hey, look, and if the right people told her, she'd drive an hour and a half to go get all them toilet tissues for $1. It's five of us. Five of us. That's right. She, do, she, she is our Proverbs 31 woman. She keep us tight. She keep us tight and right. I don't ever got to worry about no toilet tissue. We straight up in there. (laughs) But how many of y'all got friends like that? Because you know them, because you know their character, because y'all have been down like four flat tires together. Y'all done been in the mud. You can just trust them just off the strength. If they say it, you taking it to the bank. How strong is your unbelief that you can't even take your 12 closest homies word? That brother is not budging. Unless I see it for myself, I'm not going to believe it. And I'm not going to be, I don't want you to catch me rebuking Thomas here because I'm not. Because I think Thomas understands the way forward in Christianity. Thomas understands that the way forward has to be grounded in personal conviction. The way forward in Christianity has to be grounded in personal conviction. And Thomas is just making this explicitly plain and clear. That I can't walk with Jesus based on grandma faith. I can't walk with Jesus based on the people in my neighborhood. I can't walk with Jesus based on the girls I grew up with. I've got to experience it and know it for myself. And some of y'all are there today. Some of y'all are there. You have been through it. You know the right things. You know what prayers to pray. You've seen it. You've you've heard all this. You've witnessed things. But now you're at this place where it's like, man, it's a fork in the road here. Either this is my faith or it's somebody else's. So a week later, the scripture says, some of your versions may say eight days later because they include the actual day. That, is being, that the day that it happened is being counted in the eight days, if your version says that. But it's really like a week later. I love this about Thomas. Seven days ago, you encounter your buddies. In the middle of your worst nightmare, they're telling you that your resurrected Lord is still there and he's here and he's risen. You openly reject it and say, I'm not believing that until I see it for myself. But where is he seven days later? Still with him. Let me just tell you something. I know some of y'all are in this room because you would openly admit you are deconstructing certain aspects of your faith. I don't know if I believe that. I don't know if I could rock with this. I don't know what I feel about that. And I just want to praise God that you are in this room today. Because it's something about you just, listen, I don't know what's right, but I know this room is where I need to be. And those of us who are ministering to our brothers and sisters who are trying to put pieces of their world together, you give them the grace and the space to figure it out. Because it don't matter how much truth we show them, it don't matter how much time we pray over them, until they believe it for themselves, it is moot. 
But they are welcome in these spaces to work it out. You're welcome to work it out. The Bible says the doors were locked because they were hiding in fear. But look what Jesus does. Jesus comes in. (laughs) And he stands among them and says, peace be with you. You know, we just got through 14 days praying, asking God for, to do miraculous, mighty things in our midst. I don't want you to skip past the miracle. I don't think John was just, you, you know, his scribe was off or sleepy when he was transcribing this. I think the very fact that it says that the doors were locked is important for us to remember that our resurrected Lord really was resurrected and the same objects of the physiology and anatomy that restrict us couldn't restrict that body, couldn't restrict him. And I don't know whether he just said door open or whether he just appeared through that mug like, oh, yeah. I don't know what it was. But I think that's just a subtle encouragement to his people that the resurrected king can't be stopped. All authority and all power is in his hands. Come on, man. Don't skip past that. But he comes in amongst them. And he says something that he has repeated at least two, twice earlier when he appeared to the other disciples. He says it now to Thomas too. Peace be with you. Now, well, we, you know, y'all, did y'all know this, that, hey, who got Avenue stuff on? Anybody got Avenue stuff on? Somebody? Stand up. Stand up, Carter. Stand up, Carter. Yeah. That, well, look at that brother. Woo! Point, point to your crest right there. You know, um, some people don't realize, you know, when we first had the first iteration of that, uh, I remember somebody said, PT, that looks like a crab or a lobster. And I was like, that is not a lobster. They was just hungry. They was just hungry. But that's, that's actually a dove. You can sit down. Because that dove represents for us what? Shalom and peace, right? And our mission here on Summer Avenue is to be a family of Christ followers who bring shalom to Summer Avenue. What is this idea of peace? Once again, we preach it ad nauseum, but I think it's just good for us to rehearse it and come back to it. That does, is not limited to the cessation of strife, right? That is not just, hey, man, you know what? You hit me, I hit you, and now we, the beef is squashed. That, that's not limited to that. That in, actually, in actuality, to really understand the biblical uh, idea of peace and shalom, we got to really take the Old Testament and the New Testament ideas, and we got to smash those things together. If you were in the Hebrew, right, the most commonly often used words for shalom in the Hebrew has to do with this, this idea of being, uh, as Keller would say, uninjured and safe and whole and sound, right? It's this comprehensive idea of things are well with one person or with an individual. In the New Testament, the idea kind of, it graduates a little bit, not to just, uh, uh, um, um, not to expound on the idea of this comprehensive wholeness, especially specifying that it only comes through Jesus and that Essentially, in the New Testament, the idea of shalom really includes a reconciliation, a harmony. Look at Colossians 1:19. God was pleased through Christ to reconcile himself all things, to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through Christ's blood that was shed on the cross. Thus, Keller would say this, that shalom, shalom the biblical idea and understanding of peace, is really a multidimensional experience 
It includes complete well-being, physical, psychological, social, and spiritual, and it flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, within oneself, and with others. When he comes back and he appears and he says, peace be with you, it is this blessed promise that I am and have already begun and will complete to make all things right. I'm going to put harmony in your world, the likes that no man has ever experienced before. When I come in on Sunday mornings and Octum are working on, they're working on their harmonies and they're like, uh-uh, come back. You don't sing the melody. You sing the, uh-uh-uh, uh And it's, it's so beautiful, right? And he works to get it because it's all got to be right. Do you know your God is so meticulous? Do you realize he is not done with what he started yet? And he will not rest until your world and my world is in complete harmony. And the first thing he says to his weary and fearful and hiding disciples is, I'm going to make it right. And I've already started. Don't worry. Don't worry. Peace be with you. It's among you. And I'm going to finish it. Anybody glad that he's going to finish what he starts? Come on, man. Come on, man. So verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. All of a sudden, Jesus appears in the room and no longer he's, speaking, he's no longer speaking to the rest of the group, but he singles you out. Hey, God, would you single some people out here today? They're here for you. You do know that sometimes, right? I love sometimes when y'all come up, I come off the pulpit and whatever, and y'all like, man, PT, it's almost like you were speaking directly to me. And I'm like, yeah, I was. That's what you should expect. Oh, that my resurrected Savior wakes me up 52 Sundays to give a blessed word to my soul. It ain't no generic general thing that he's throwing out there. Oh, but it's an efficacious word that is jointly, rightly fit for my situation. Come on. It's what I need to hear. Can I get somebody to praise God that when you come to this church, you know it's what I need to hear. Some of y'all have graduated past the, you know, the performative, perfunctory notions of what you want your preacher to do. Some of y'all people ain't been to seminary, can't spell it, but you sit here and you grade everybody who come in this pulpit on their execution and their exposition. But some of y'all have graduated past that. If somebody just stood up here for 30 minutes and just told you Jesus loved you over and over again, you would say, that's God's word for me. That's what I needed to hear. Do you know you have a personal Savior who knows exactly what your soul needs? And he'd be willing to pass through walls to get you what your soul needs. He could have just moved on. This is actually the literal example of leaving the one and coming, um, leaving the 99 and coming back for the one. There is nothing about what Thomas got going on that Jesus needed to do anything for him. Hadn't he done enough in three and a half years? How many miracles? How many teachings? What else do you need, brother? I laid out Holy Week. I told you what was going to happen. You knew I was going to die. What else would you need? But you know, the mere fact that Jesus shows up, it's also just a subtle thing too. John just records it. Like, he's hearing all the things even though he's not in the room. <laughs> he's omnipresent. 
So he's here in the conversation. He just shows up for him. This goes back to verse 25, where Thomas says, unless I can see these nails, unless I have a personal experience for myself, I can't believe. Jesus affirms that. I think Jesus knows. He knows. I know that you can't have your faith in me without a personal conviction either. And so Jesus responds. He says, put your fingers here, see my hands. Reach out your hand, put it in my side. And he gives them, he gives Thomas the sufficient experience for his faith. Here's how I know. Because after he says, put your finger here and see my hands and reach out and put it in my side, then he gives him a command. He says, stop doubting. <laughs> I know your Savior is gentle and lowly, but you know he, sometimes he don't mix his words. I know he, he's going to take his yoke, but sometimes he just stop doubting and believe. What are you supposed to do if you see literal holes in hands and spear, uh, blood marks in the side? What are you supposed to do after you see all that? You have literally seen everything. There's nothing else to do but, all right, it's true. You are who you say you are, and you have done and will do what you say you can do. And so what does Thomas do? He just has to admit it. My Lord and my God. We pay attention. I told you in all the gospel evangelists, the accounts, that you got to be paying attention to the confessions when people actually rightly identify him. It does not happen to everybody. It's not over all the books. So when people actually say, oh, he is the Christ, we got to be zoomed in because there's a purpose and there's a reason. So we listen to the woman at the well. We know when Peter confesses that he is Lord. We listen to the Gentile um, Roman centurion who says, surely he must have been because those are really important moments. And Thomas's confession is recorded for all of history as a legitimate picture of conversion. This is a legitimate picture and antidote for what conversion looks like. This story. I think it's one we need to get better versed at and understand. Here's the crazy thing. As I was reading this, I'm just like, whoa, this is wild. Because if this is the moment of Thomas's true conversion, what was happening before that? And is it possible that we could follow Jesus and still not believe that he's God? I think the answer is absolutely yes. You know, you could be following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. You could have come into this room, and this is just where your friend group hangs out. You could come into this room, and you think, man, you know what? I just love this multi-ethnic expression in a racially divided city. Okay? 
You can come into this room because you have uh, ways that you could serve and utilize. You can come in this room because maybe you think I'm entertaining. Man, I just love my preacher. He's so wild. He's seen. He's crazy. You don't even know. You can come in this room for all kinds of reasons and it not be the one you need to. Three and a half years walking with him, talking with him, seeing all the things. But this was the moment that he first truly accepted, oh my goodness, he is the risen Christ. Verse 29, then they told him, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen and have believed. Y'all, circle it, highlight it, meditate on it this week, pray through it, think through it, talk about it with people. This is the salvation comes to us by grace alone. Through what? Yeah. See, see a lot of y'all, y'all, y'all think y'all real tight theologically, but y'all have some major loopholes sometimes. Oh, grace is grace, not works, not grace, not works. Ephesians 2 8, you got it tattooed here, 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 and the other place I'm not even gonna tell you where it got tattooed. But you better write it down. It is by grace through faith. The grace could be made available for you, but unless you are using your faith to access it, it's all moot. It's worthless. He can't force his grace on you. You got to receive it. I believe it. And therein lies the most difficult thing we all will have to do. Faith is so incredibly hard, y'all. I love, you know I've been on The Chosen. I'm only on like 10 minutes a week. <laughs> a 10-minute segment a week and then I agree for the time. But my most recent one is when, oh my God, if y'all haven't, I think somebody, somebody, you pull out your phone. This is, you have been licensed in church, pull out your phone. But it's season one, episode like five. This is Nicodemus, John 3. It, it was the pinnacle episode for me. The, the fasten, the, they, they nailed the conversation. It was amazing. But at the end of the conversation, Jesus offers Nicodemus an invitation. He says, come with me. We're getting ready to go on the journey. Come follow me. And so they all get ready to go on the journey sometime later. And everybody showed up, and this is just Hollywood, but it's a good, good anecdote, and it's a great, great image of, of the difficult nature of faith. Because the 12 of everybody's huddled up, and Jesus pauses for a minute. He says, do we have everybody? And Nicodemus was literally hiding around the corner. And Jesus could speak to him, and Nicodemus could hear him. And Nicodemus begins to cry because he knows if he gets ready to take and embark on this journey, he knows it's going to cost him so much. And as they get ready to go and Nicodemus is wailing, Jesus says, you were so close. Y'all. What I think we need to be delivered from today is we need to be delivered from 
the false religion of Thomasanity. It ain't Christianity, it's Thomasanity. Everybody write it down. Thomasanity. What is that, preacher? See, Christianity is verse 29. Thomasanity is verse 25. Christianity says, I believe, and I ain't never seen a resurrected Lord. I ain't never seen a cross. I ain't never been to Jerusalem. I ain't never seen Golgotha. Thomasanity says, unless I see it for myself, I will not believe it. Some of you have managed your faith down, and you think your Christianity is about something that you can intellectually wrap your head around, have it f fully flushed out and thorough, and that you have no room for mystery. There's nothing that your Savior could call you to that costs you anything. It's better be convenient, and it better be cogent, and it better be making some sense. And I just want to tell you, that's not what we're called to. Not only is Thomas sanity, not only is it wrong, it's impossible. Life in God is impossible without faith. Jesus rebuked the people in John 4 and 48. Remember he said, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. Because he knew that, man, there is a temptation for us to really want our foundation of our faith to be based on verse 25. But it's not true. And the reason why verse 29 is so important for us as believers in this side, in this epic of biblical and redemptive history is this. One commentator just says this. Jesus here foresees a time when he will not provide. Everybody say not provide. The kind of tangible evidence afforded the beloved disciple Thomas. In short, he will ascend to his father permanently, and all those who believe will do so without the benefit of having seen their resurrected Lord. Jesus is setting the cadence and the tempo for how Christianity will move forward. He says, when I go, I'm not coming back until I come back fully and finally. So if you're going to have faith in me, you're going to have to be able to believe in me without seeing these holes in my hands. I titled the message, Faith in Jesus Leads to Blessing. And it's based on verse 29. Because you have seen me, Thomas, you have believed. But you need to add the interjection, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And if we rearrange that verse, we could also fairly say and transliterate it as this, the blessed life is only accessed through faith in Jesus. The, the dictionary of biblical themes just puts it this way. Faith is a fundamental duty for all people and the necessary response to God's self-revelation. Pause. When God reveals himself, there's only one thing you can do. Two things, really. You choose to either accept it, believe it, or deny it. And so you don't have any other options. When he discloses his deity, his fullness, his person to you, you either choose to believe or you choose to let it pass. 
But faith is the only, everybody say only. The only channel through which God's blessings may be received and the only, everybody say only, means by which life may be made meaningful in relationship with God. Am I, am I lying? No. First Peter says this, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. They are living that blessed life even though they do not see. They are making true what Jesus has told his disciples, that the blessed life has to be one that has, is believed even though there is no visible evidence. Second Corinthians 5, 7 just says this, we walk by faith and not by what? Everybody likes to, you know, they say this uh, in the music industry that once upon a time when they thought I was going to be Little Michael, you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, we're going to let Little Timmy, he's going to go to this church. I, see, some of y'all don't know about three o'clock programs. Y'all know about three o'clock programs? The Baptist church, man, we, oh God. But then they let me sing the songs. And I think some of them, some of them would be like, man, you know what? Little Timmy can sing and, and maybe that will do something, right? But, you know, something changed in the music industry. Like people don't try to discover talent anymore. They don't really have A&R, right? What do you do? You just go on YouTube, you go on Twitter, you see all the little people playing their guitars, who got the most views, and then you take your, the big machine's money and you put it behind people who already have a following. Don't take much faith in that, right? Because you're just putting your muscle beside something that's already working. That's not how Christianity works. You ain't Christian until you are asking yourself, is this really true? Am I crazy for believing what I'm believing? You ain't really there yet. There is nothing about faith that would be rational to the carnal mind. Now, why do you believe that is what the carnal mind would say. The carnal mind is verse 25. Brother, my life is based on science, research, people, effort, conversation, and uh-uh. If I can't see it, prove it, it ain't for me. No, brother. No, sister. That's not what we've been called to. Not only have we not been called to it, the blessed life lies in the mystery of hanging on to a God we've never seen. Believing that there were nails that we never witnessed drived into his hands. I just wrote a note to myself that just said, there's blessing in the stretching. Some of y'all are in the midst of the stretching right now. It's like, man, where is he? Seem like he's gone. What's he doing? But there's blessing in the midst of that stretching. I've been recently, this has been my new thing as I've been sitting with premarital couples and we start working through conversations about conflict management and resolution. I say, oh man, just, I'm gonna write a book in a couple of days because I'm the best at conflict management resolution in my world. Y'all probably, you know when the Bible says, if you wanna be like Christ, just follow me, this is what y'all should do. Just wait on me to tell you how to manage your marital stuff. I mean, I'm good at it, baby. She said, lies, lies, we repeat that. But I've been telling them, I say, you know, what, what will happen once you start to experience tension in the marriage is you have to make a choice. You got to make a decision. 
Is the strife inside of this marriage, is this an indictment? Is this here to prove that I am not qualified? Is this here to expose that I am unable to handle what I've got in front of me and therefore we, we're not compatible and we need to kind of tear this up? Or is this God just promising to sanctify us and strengthen us? Is this just an opportunity by which he's growing us, not shaming us? He's not breaking us to leave us. He's allowing the strife to prove to us that his grace is sufficient. Some of y'all run away from the tension the first time that it's evident that you're going to need faith to get through it. You're like, this ain't for me. And God's like, no, I'm trying to get you to the blessing. I'm trying to get you to the blessed life. But you're going to have to use some faith, not in your hard work, not in your effort. Just don't let go of me. That's all I'm asking, Thomas. I didn't ask you to go out and kill a thousand Romans. I didn't ask you to go and stand in Jerusalem in the most holy place and say that I was. All I asked you, Thomas, just believe that I was going to do what I said I was going to do. That's all I'm asking you, Thomas. Don't make it cute. Don't make it hard. But you got to ask yourself today, are you at a place where you just can believe I'm not asking you if it makes sense. I'm just saying, can you believe it? Now, faith is a confidence in what we hope for. It is the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. It's always been this way, y'all. Even in the Old Testament, it's always been by faith, y'all. It's always been this way. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he does reward those who diligently seek him. I wonder, where is he asking you to believe him today? I just want to remind you, if you're in the room hiding and cowering, if you're in this sanctuary and you're doubting, it's okay. Today is your day of visitation. This is not a day to shame you, but this is the invitation that your Lord knows you need to experience him. And he's inviting you. He's inviting you. If the only thing you can walk out this room and say is to say, I, do, I don't believe that, but I want to believe it. I rebuke you walking out of this room saying that this is just the way I am. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. There's so much better for you than resigning to that belief. There is a life of abundance and confidence and joy in God's Holy Spirit. And it's going to come with faith. Would you pray with me?